If you have your Bibles or the supplied Bible there in the pew, if you would turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 1 is a wonderful chapter, but it is not our text this morning. John chapter 15, it's page 901 in the Supplied Bible, and as you find your place there, well, I'll read through it, uh, but also put your finger in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It is good to have you this morning. We are looking forward to getting back as one here in a couple weeks. So if you make it through this week, you got one more week, Lord willing, of having these two services, and then we could get back together. But it has been neat through the week, even, hearing some people say, hey, we're having so-and-so over this week, and they're coming over, we're getting together with them, because we don't really get to see them, because they're in a different service. So um, that's, that's encouraging to hear, because uh, it's hard to be in two services, separated from the whole body. Uh, not an ideal situation, but continue to pray, uh, especially as you hear in, in, uh, in the South, uh, a lot of cases on the rise, and certainly we don't want that to happen here again and, and have a repeat of any sorts. Uh, so continue to just pray, um, pray for wisdom for our government and our leaders, and uh, that, that this soon would pass as well. But in John chapter 15, I do want to read the first 11 verses for us and follow along there uh, with, with me in your Bible. John 15, Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once again as we begin. God, I'm so thankful that, that we are free free in Christ from any condemnation and judgment, free from the bondage of sin, free to live a life that is abiding in You. 
Father, our world and our culture and oftentimes our own hearts want to bind us and keep us captive to sin. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. But in Christ, you have overcome and you have given us the victory to live a life not free of trial and difficulty, but to live a life that is full of joy, that is full of peace. Father, ultimately beginning a work in, a, in your new creation that one day that will be fully and finally realized. And we long for that day. We would ask that Jesus, that you would even come, come today, right the wrongs, bring true justice to our world. Father, as, as we anticipate your coming, we also know that you are a patient God who gives opportunity to repent and to believe. So I do pray that as we look at your word, Father, if we are here today and we don't know Christ as our Savior, we don't have a relationship with you, that today might be that day that we respond in repentance and faith. Father, for those that already believe that we would continue to respond with that heart attitude of repentance and faith as well. Lord, I can't speak in my own strength does us no good. Uh, so allow your spirit to work through the words that I say. Let it be uh, from your word and your thoughts, not my own. In Jesus' name, amen. With your finger there in John 15, we will go back to Genesis chapter 1. But we've been laying the, the groundwork the last two weeks to look at this series on new creation rhythms, talking about how God has ordered and designed His world for our good, for our blessings, with certain rhythms in our lives that, that uh, are designed to be a blessing to us, designed to help us even to navigate when we properly understand uh, their place in our lives and how we should be viewing them and, and even pursuing after them. And one of those... Uh, uh, what we talked about last week as well in um, Matthew chapter 28, that we are as well people on mission. So as we are living our lives, we are to be people who are carrying out this mission of making disciples and sharing the gospel, both with those that do not yet believe and with those that already do believe that we would see them mature, come, uh, mature in their faith, in, in their discipleship of Jesus Christ. This morning, we are going to look at our first rhythm, and, and for this first rhythm, we, we broke it up into two parts, uh, the first rhythm being worship, but this week, we'll be looking at our personal worship, and then next week, uh, the next couple weeks, our, our community corporate worship. So one rhythm, but two parts to that rhythm as we unfold these in, over the next couple weeks. In our previous church... Um, in Pittsburgh, there was a man there, uh, his name was Mark, and 
just a, just a, I don't know if you say, your average uh, church member, uh, but just a guy that really loved the Lord and, and was a great example and taught me a lot uh, in my life, even as it related to how to be a husband and um, even certain things theologically that he would, he would stretch me as far as uh, what I came in as, as a, I don't know how old we were when we moved there, 24-year-old uh, associate pastor. He would say something like this, and he probably forgot that he, how often he would say it, but it's something that often stuck with me. He would say things, he would say something like this, Dennis, it amazes me, it amazes me how many uh, Christians, and, and particularly certain Christians, say they can't wait to go to heaven when they die, or they can't wait for the Lord to come back so they can go to heaven when their lives display little desire to worship Him now. Then he would ask this question, kind of rhetorically. He'd say, what do they think we'll be doing in heaven? The truth is, and and his point was, eternal life is not merely living forever. Eternal life is living forever in relationship with God, in personal worship of God. Our personal worship with God is key to what John, as I just read in our text, says in verse number 11, uh, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. If you want a life that is full of joy, not, not full of ease and comfort, that's not what we're talking about, but full of joy, lasting joy, we need to have a life that is, is set in relationship with God, in personal worship of God. This is the key to living a life that is flourishing from the inside out. This is where it starts. So God's intention in our life is not that we live these stressed out, overwhelmed, uh, just just frustrating lives, but what Jesus says, I am telling you these things, again, we'll get to John 15, but I'm telling you these things, that my joy may be in you, that your joy would be full, that you would be living a life that is flourishing. If you remember, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates a world that is good. The end of his creation, he says this is very good. And part of him creating a world that is good is creating a world where, uh, with two people, Adam and Eve, living in relationship with him. Think about all the things that God created, all of his cre- created uh, beings, animals, birds, fish, the trees, everything. They were all created with a knowledge of God. All, all in subservience to him, submission to him. But only Adam and Eve were created to have a relationship with God. There's a difference there. Notice in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, God, God is on the sixth day of creation. He's created all other uh, animals and, and plant life and, and the, the stars and the sun and all of those things. And it's only at this point in verse 28 that God now said, it says, and God blessed them and God said to them. 
So all the other things that God created, he never spoke to them. What's happening here in verse 28? Communication's taking place. God is now communicating with his creation, specifically Adam and Eve, man and woman, humanity. As we understand a relationship, we understand that communication is vital to a relationship. That that has to be there. And so when we think about understanding this, a knowledge of God, having an understanding of him or of something is different than having a relationship with someone. That makes sense? So we can know a lot about something or someone, but never actually have a relationship with that person. Relationship involves intimacy. It involves both knowing and being known. We're going to talk about that as we work through John 15. Because what a knowledge engages the mind, which is, which is good as far as it goes, but a relationship really engages the heart. It engages the whole person. So as we move from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 2 with this understanding that God is communicating with his creation in, in humanity, he's, he's communicating with man, men and women, we get into chapter 2 and God continues to speak to the man. In verse number 16, Genesis 2, 16, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, again, he's speaking to him, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God's issuing a command to his created man. Verse 18, it continues. Then God said, speaking to him again, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. So in verse 18, God's now expressing care and concern for Adam. Verse 19, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So we have here a picture of God and Adam living in relationship with each other in a very unique and intimate way. God and Adam were talking to each other, and you can fill in the blanks of what that might have looked like as God brought the animals to Adam and explained to him and how Adam is corresponding back to God in that relationship. But ultimately, Adam is living in obedience to God's word, the spoken word to him. Adam is living a life of personal worship toward God, okay, and with God. And you might think, well, what's the difference or why, why, why say it in that way? Because I think it's important to understand that we're not just worshiping uh, toward God as if he's this distant God that we can't fully understand and, and We just see him from a distance and that's it. But actually God is wanting us and inviting us to be in relationship with him. He's come alongside of us. And and like Adam and Eve, uh, he would walk with them in the garden. Not this distant God that's separate from his creation, but rather a God that is intimately involved with his creation. A God we can know. Then you go into chapter 3. And Adam, 
I'm going to focus on Adam particularly as, as we go throughout, but understand Eve is here as well. Adam stops worshiping God and instead starts worshiping himself. No longer is God the rule giver. No longer is God the one he obeys. Adam takes the forbidden fruit and in that moment breaks his relationship with God. Notice chapter 3 and verse number 7. Immediately, the eyes of them were both open, both Adam and Eve. And they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Immediately, Upon eating of the forbidden fruit, Adam sees his nakedness. He's ashamed. He tries to cover himself. And then he hears it. Verse number 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. He hears the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. A sound that once had been so refreshing to him, a a sound that, that once brought him joy and delight, now was causing him to hide. He was afraid. We get our first glimpse here of God's patient character because what does God do in verse number 9? I know what I would have done. When my kids disobey and they do something I told them not to do, I am stomping through the house looking for them to let them know what they did, that I know. But God called to the man, verse number 9, and said to him, Where are you? I don't hear anger in this question. I hear hear brokenness. Disappointment. God coming to his created man, the one who he created in his image. And for the first time, the man didn't come running when he heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. And God asked, where are you? And notice in verse number 10, Adam's response, and he said, I heard the sound of you. I I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. A whole new emotion for Adam. His disobedience now brought fear into his life. The relationship that he once enjoyed was destroyed all because of his disobedience, all because of sin. Adam's view of God had changed. No longer was God this loving father who he would run to. Instead, he was this judge who he would hide from. As you go through chapter 3, God's going to expose their sin through some other questions. He's going to bring a curse onto the world. But, but I want to focus on the brokenness of the relationship. So go to cha- uh, verse number 22. 
Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim, that is, an, an, that is angels, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Remember at the beginning I said eternal life isn't just about living forever. Here we see God's mercy. You say, what, what was so merciful about God taking Adam and Eve and removing them from the garden? Well, the worst thing for Adam is what God says in verse 22, now lest he reach out his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. The worst possible thing was that Adam would eat this from the tree of life, live forever in a broken relationship with God, with no hope ever of being restored in that relationship. Eternal life without God is no life at all. You can imagine the walk out of the garden for Adam and Eve. And, and they're, they're, I know what my mind would be thinking, man, if I, could just, if I could just go back and change what I did, if I could somehow fix this problem. But Adam couldn't fix the problem. None of us can fix the problem. Only God could fix the problem, and God does just that. In his perfect plan, Jesus did what Adam couldn't do. And he lived a perfect life in perfect relationship and worship with God the Father. Jesus took our sin and he endured the full wrath of God, full judgment and punishment of God, and opens the door for us to once again be in relationship as sons and daughters of God. No longer do we need to hide and fear God, because there is no condemnation, Romans 8.1, for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no punishment that waits for those who are in Christ, trusting in Him by faith, because Jesus has already taken that punishment. The original condition of each of us when we're born is hiding from God. Afraid that our sin will be exposed, just like Adam and Eve hiding in the garden. We're unable to, to be in worshipful relationship with God. We're born separate from God, but Jesus makes it possible to draw near to God in relationship once again. That we can have our sin exposed, and that we can have our sin forgiven. And live a life of personal worship toward God and with God this brings us to our key truth. In Christ, we are free to live life as God originally intended. And it is God's original intention that mankind would live in personal relationship with Him. Remember how we're tracing these rhythms from creation and the fall, which we just discussed in Genesis 3, to the redemption we have in Christ that He brings us in relationship with God once again by faith that one day there will be a new creation. 
and we will live in perfect relationship, full, perfect relationship with God once again. With that background in mind, now we want to go to John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus speaks about this importance of abiding in Him. We are called to abide in Jesus. And our worship of God begins here at this personal level. When we talk about worshiping God, we're not just talking about as we gather on Sundays. That would be our our corporate or community worship. But we are to be in personal worship with God. And what Jesus gives us here in John chapter 15 is not this checklist of things. Here's what you need to do to be in personal worship with me, in personal relationship with me. It's not a checklist to complete, but it's communion to be enjoyed. Abide in me, and and I will abide in you. So a life rhythm of personal worship means that we will abide in Jesus. And we want to answer this question this morning. What does it look like to abide in Jesus? What does it look like to abide in Jesus, to have a life that is living personally, in relationship with God, in worship of God. And I want to emphasize three things in answering this question, uh, looking at our text this morning. We're certainly not going to unfold everything in these 11 verses of John 15. But I want to emphasize three things in answering the question, what does it look like to abide in Jesus? Number one, our life will prioritize the word. Our life will prioritize the word. Notice what Jesus says in verse number 3 of John 15. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus here talking to his disciples, and his disciples at that time, anyone that would be a disciple of him today. And he says, look, already, right now, You are clean. You are pure. You are cleansed. You are made holy. It's the same thing that 1 Peter chapter 1, 23 talks about and Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 about when it talks about the cleansing of the word. This is not a ceremonial cleansing of the time, but this is being cleansed from sin from within. Those who by nature are unclean and unable to worship God have now been made clean, have been purified. So what we can understand from this, we aren't trying, we're not trying to abide in Jesus so that we can be clean. Believers have already been made holy. So we're not trying to earn salvation. We're not trying to earn holiness with God so we can be brought into a relationship. Jesus says, you have already been made perfect, clean, pure. And how did this come about? Well, he says, because of the word. It's by reason of my word that you are cleansed. And as a result of that cleansing, we are now called and enabled to abide in Him. This cleansing is a completed process, yet a continual process. 
I don't think I put these on the slides. Maybe I should have. I'm going to use a big word, maybe a couple big words. So we're talking about here positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. You ever hear the word sanctification? Four people. Good. All right, here we go. Uh, it, it is that process of being made holy or that state of being made holy. Positional sanctification is this, that as I trust in Jesus Christ and I realize my sin before God and I see that Jesus is my only hope of being restored to relationship with him because in my sin before God's, uh, my position is guilty, unclean. But now in Christ, my position is clean, innocent. That's a hard thing to understand, especially if you have come to terms with who you are as a sinner. That is positional sanctification that before God, before the judge, I am no longer guilty, but I am innocent because of what Christ has done for me. On the other hand, we are progressing in our sanctification, in our being made holy. I am not perfect. You are not perfect. And in this life, we never will be perfect, but we are growing to be more and more like Christ. Out of that position, we are now progressing in our cleanliness, in our being made holy. So it is both a completed process and a continual process. And we could say it like this, through the word, we have been made holy, we have been cleansed, and through the word, we are being cleansed. It's how we're going to grow in holiness towards God. Not perfection, in this life, but progressing in our walk. So the Word of God is an essential element in our worship of God. We cannot abide in Him without His Word. When we talk about having a relationship with God, we're again talking about communication like Adam communicate, or like God communicated with Adam. We are, uh, God is communicating to us through His Word. It's the means by which we know more of God's heart. We know more of who He is. It's the Word that connects us to Jesus and keeps us connected. Romans 10, 17. So faith, belief comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of Christ. It's essential. We need the Word of God in our lives. But not only do we need it, we need to delight in it. You might be familiar, some of you might be familiar with Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Jeremiah the prophet says in Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found. And he's talking spiritually here, and I ate them, I ate them up, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of of my heart. This morning, instead, instead of asking, do you spend time in God's word, which, which we need to be doing, I want to ask this question. Do you delight in God's word? Is it a joy 
to you? Is God's word a delight to you? If not, why? If you don't have a desire to hear the word, to know the word, to obey the word, I mean, really, what Jesus is, is saying and, and other authors of Scripture too would say, if you don't have a desire for the word, it may be a sign that the word has never made you clean. You see little value in the word because you've never experienced the power of the word at work in your life. Notice what Jesus says in, in John 14 and verse 21. So you might have to just go up on your page or flip a page back. But he says this, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, this is his word, he it is who loves me. The priority of God's word in our lives is a direct reflection of the reality of our relationship with God. The priority of God's word in our lives is a direct reflection of the reality of our relationship with God. So a lack of desire for God's word should be a warning to us. Maybe this word has never made you clean to begin with. Maybe you say, Dennis, I, I do have a desire for God's Word, and I, I delight in hearing it, and I delight in reading it and knowing it. And I just want to ask a quick follow-up question. How does this delight show itself in your life? What does your time in God's Word look like? Do you read it? Do you meditate on it? Do you memorize it? Do you study it? Or have other things been crowding it out, Push, pushing it to the margins? Are you too busy to listen to God through His Word? Our personal worship will place a priority on the Word of God. Number two, our personal worship is seen in that our life will have a pattern of prayer. Notice verse number seven. Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Wow, so, some ears perked up. Whatever I wish? I wish a lot of things. So I just ask, and it, and it will be done? But understand what Jesus is saying here. When you are abiding in Jesus, and his word is abiding in you, you will be praying with a heart that is aligned with his. Your requests will conform to his heart. Jesus had a pattern of prayer in his life. In chapter 14, verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father. And that's just one of the many times that Jesus spends time with the Lord, going to him in prayer. And in verse number seven, Jesus here anticipates, okay, he's anticipating that his disciples will live lives of prayer. When you ask, this is, this is how it will be answered when you're abiding in me and my words are abiding in you. At one point, if you remember Jesus' disciples, ask him, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. It's what we know as the Lord's prayer. And in that prayer, 
The pattern was one of praying according to God's will. In Luke 15, 16, it tells us that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So Jesus' own personal worship and his relationship with the Father was often demonstrated in in his times of getting alone with God in prayer. This was his expectation of the disciples. Now I'm going to bring it down to like as, as the most base level as I can here and, and say, well, what is prayer? What do you mean when we talk about prayer? This is what I will use in, um, in our, in, if I'm teaching junior church before I have one of the kids pray or even at home with the girls. What is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. Okay? And the most basic, simple definition that we could think of. So God speaks to us through his word. We speak to him in prayer. This is relational communication. But what are we talking to God about? Well, there's different acronyms that are used. One is pray. Maybe you've heard that. Praise, repent, ask, and yield. I like, I particularly use acts. I think I have it on the overhead. Adoration, Confession, thanksgiving, supplication. So prayer is not just asking things of God, but opening ourselves up to God. It's expressing praise and thankfulness to God. It's, ex- it's confessing our sin to the one who alone can forgive sin. It's petitioning him for our needs and the needs of others. This is all part of our personal worship. Intimacy in relationship happens when both sides are communicating. Well, you, you may say, well, God already knows what I think about him and how I feel about him. But how, how does that same kind of thought process translate into our marriage relationships? Well, my wife, she already knows what I think about her. I, mean, I married her, right? Why do I have to keep communicating? Telling her I love her. All of those things. Many of us know that prayer is important, but I've met very few people that have ever said, man, I, I really do have a strong prayer life. Prayer is often the weakest part of our spiritual walk because prayer is hard work. Think about what what you're doing in prayer, like physically. Just sitting there, or you're kneeling. You don't have to do anything except for talk. Anybody can pray. So why would it be hard work? Because it's mental and spiritual hard work. Our prayers come from a heart that is fully trusting God for all things, recognizing that we're not self-sufficient, that we can't do it on our own, so we're coming to God and we're fully depending on Him, seeking His wisdom, seeking His strength. And much of the stress and anxiety and the fear that we deal with in our lives, I think really results from a lack of trust in the Lord and a failure to yield our lives to Him in prayer. We've had a lot of things going on in our nation and this is, this is confession time. Uh, I found myself getting angry and frustrated and distracted and even discouraged at everything going on 
in, in our world. And, and I'd find myself wanting to have the right answers and going on social media and responding to this person and responding to that person and, and reading this thing and all, all wanting to find the solution. Like, so I could have the answer. And in the course of this frustration and discouragement, God said to me, not, not in an audible way, just kind of brought it to my mind, have you, have you just tried praying about these things? Instead of trying to find the solution, have you just tried praying and bringing these things to me? And so I did. And it wasn't long before peace came. I could think clearly. I was rejoicing in God, not being discouraged by the things going on around me. So I want to ask a question. Do you frequently find yourself stressed and anxious or discouraged? Too many times we, we find ourselves in those positions and we just wait for the next good thing to come along to distract us from those things. But that doesn't last. So I want to encourage you instead, try, try going to the Lord in prayer. Spending time communicating with Him. And we need to move on here. But what does the rhythm of personal worship look like? Our, our life, number one, will be prioritizing the word. Our life will have a pattern of prayer. Number three, our life will be producing fruit. The producing of fruit is the desired result of abiding in Jesus. This, this is what he's saying. Look, abide in me so that you will produce fruit. This is... This is a spiritual fruit, but it has, it has that symbolism. So like the fruit of a plant demonstrates the type of vine it comes from, so does the fruit of one's life demonstrate whether or not they are a Christian. This is talking about the fruit of our character, the fruit of our works. It's growing in holiness as we become more and more like Jesus. Galatians 5 19 through 22 says it like this. Now the works of the flesh, or we would say it like this. You could say the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of sin, are evidence. Here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, Orgies and things like these, Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, these, if these are characteristic of your life, will not inherit the kingdom of God. These things are the fruit of unrighteousness, the old self. The very next verse, he contrasts this with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of righteousness. The new self, the new creation. God is making us a new, to be a new creation. We are being changed. Is it, aren't these things what we want out of life? Love, joy, peace, etc.? 
Now, we may be able to schedule a time for Bible reading and prayer, but we can't schedule ourselves to produce fruit. We can't say, okay, in this hour, I'm going to produce these things in my life. This comes from a continual abiding in Jesus and He in us. Spiritual fruit, a changed life in character and action, is evidence of being a true worshiper of God. This is our personal worship. This is the outworking of that worship. And only true worshipers can produce spiritual fruits. Notice what he says in verse number four. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. So if you're a branch off on its own, disconnected from the, 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 the vine, you can't bear fruit. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Not some things, but you can do nothing. You cannot live a life that is flourishing in in all of these things, a life that is fully satisfying, resting, if you are disconnected from the vine. You can do nothing. So when you repent... And you turn from, that is, you turn from your sin, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you enter into a relationship with God, a God who is three persons, and we see the second person of, or, well, the first person of the Trinity here, and, and the God, the Father, is also involved in this process of producing fruit. Notice verse number two, the Father takes every branch that does not bear fruit, If you're not producing fruit, he takes it away. He removes it. Later on, it says he throws it into the fire, verse number six, and is burned in judgment. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Pruning's painful sometimes. It's not easy. But why does he do it? That it may bear more fruit. See, there are eternal consequences for a life that doesn't produce fruit. But as we abide in Him and God prunes us and we have a life that is producing more fruit, growing in holiness, then we truly understand what it is to live a life that is flourishing the way God designed it to be, originally intended. So the focus as we wind down here, the focus of our day-to-day life is not to get more money, to have status in life, to be comfortable. It's not so your kids can have a better life. I mean, I, w- I want the best for my kids. But it's not just so they can have a better life. The focus of our day-to-day is to put off the old and to put on the new. It's to see spiritual fruit produced in our life. And the only way that happens if we are abiding in him. That's it. That our joy may be full, verse number 11. Remember, Jesus' life wasn't comfortable. 
It was hard, but he experienced joy in being in relationship with the Father. Ultimately, abiding in Jesus is a heart issue. It's a God-given desire to know him, to glorify him with all that we do. And yes, there are certain spiritual disciplines, and I'll, I'll commend to you a book if you want to jot it down. Maybe you've already read it. Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life that, that will detail and get into even things like fasting and that role in our lives. But it all boils down to really prioritizing the word, being a person of prayer, and looking to see spiritual fruit produced in our lives as we yield to him. So I want to end this way, and I know, I know our time is, is gone, but I just want to give you five quick things. How do we grow in our personal worship? And I'm sure there's bit more things that could add to this. But number one, uh, prayerfully seek. Seek me and you will find me, God says. Plead with God for the desire if you don't have a desire for him. You can't, you can't force yourself into this desire. And there are times that there will be seasons of dryness that we say, God, give me that desire to seek and abide in you. Number two, in a very practical way, evaluate your life and identify hindrances. Things in your life that are hindering your personal worship. If you're not abiding in Him, what's crowding it out? Then number three, spend quality time with the Lord. As you begin to spend more time in personal worship with God, you're going to need to adjust some of the other rhythms in your life. It may mean you have to work less. It may mean that you have to sleep more. But we're not just talking about spending time to check it off the list, but spending quality time, enough time, undistracted time. Maybe you have to go to bed early so you can wake up early when no one else is around. But spend quality time. Number four, be consistent. As I said, there are going to be seasons where you come to the Word and it's just dry. But let me encourage you to faithfully endure every day. Don't get discouraged. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. But be consistent every day throughout the day. Number five, stretch yourself for more. Start slow and intentional. Listening to God, spending time in His Word. Look, devotionals and other books are good, but don't let, the, don't, don't let them replace the Word. It's only the Word that brings cleansing, that produces fruit. Spend time talking to God. You're listening to God through the Word. You're talking to Him in prayer. Maybe you have no consistent pattern of prayer. And I would say this, don't jump in. I've done this before. You hear somebody speak, challenge you, encourage you towards these things, and you say, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend an hour in prayer every day. That rarely works. It gets overwhelming. So let me just encourage you to add five minutes onto your normal prayer time. If you spend zero minutes a day talking to the Lord, spend five minutes 
a minute in adoration, a minute in confession, a minute in thanksgiving, a minute in supplication, and a minute because we get distracted. And go from there. Pray frequently during the day. Take small bites until you develop a healthy appetite for more. So for some of us, we need to intentionally restructure our lives in order to spend time doing what's most important. And make no mistake, your personal worship and relationship with God is most important. If you get this rhythm wrong, all of your other rhythms will be a mess. And you you can reorder your life in work and rest, and we'll, we'll get to those. But oftentimes it comes back to this rhythm. This sets the tone for everything else. Adam and Eve had a a personal, intimate relationship with God. Sin destroyed that, but in Christ, we are now free to live a life in personal worship and relationship with God once again. This is what we're looking forward to in the new heaven and the the new earth. So let me ask you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? If If you don't have one in this life, you will not have one in the next. And today is as good a day as any to begin one. If you do have a relationship, what does your personal worship with God look like? Where do you need to make changes?